So we are continuing our series we've called For Real. And we've been looking at a letter that was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, to a group of Jewish Christians. And we've seen that James is a just-tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy. And the reason that he's writing this letter is he wants to know, he wants us to know what living this real life, this authentic life around who Jesus is, is all about. And we're picking up this morning, I'm going to jump right into our text this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. If you have your Bibles, that's where we'll be, or the words are going to be on the screen and you can follow along. He asks this question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? Also, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified By works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is exploring this relationship between faith and work, specifically as it relates to someone who has said yes to following Jesus. Before we get into the details, let's just talk generally about faith and works. Here's a simple definition of faith. It's who or what you are trusting in. Faith is who or what you are trusting in. And works is this. It's what you do or how you live. It's the choices and the decisions that we make. So faith is not exclusively a religious term. We have faith in a lot of things. Like when we trust that our alarm is going to wake us up in the morning, that's the reason we said it. Or when we walk down the stairs, we trust that those stairs are actually going to hold us. 
Apart from the small things we trust, the faith we will talk about this morning is more about who or what we put our faith in for the ultimate things in life or the most important things. Regardless of what you believe, everyone has a sense that things aren't right. Things aren't the way they should be. I mean, you watch the first two or three minutes of the news... Or you scroll the headlines on your news app, you know that things aren't right. Things, something's missing. Something is broken in our world. And our response to this brokenness, every one of us decides to put our faith in someone or something to make things better. Like I said before, faith is not exclusive to religion. Everyone has faith in someone or something. Everyone puts their trust in someone or something to make things right or better. And based on that trust, they make the decision, we make the decision to live our lives according to that trust. For some, faith can be a cause, it can be a movement, it can be a political party. Or leader, it can a social justice agenda, or even we can put our faith in ourselves through our self-empowerment or self-enlightenment, trusting that one or more of these things can fix what is broken and make life better. Because they trust that one or more of those things will fix what's broken, they order their lives around it. It's what they talk about. It's what they post about. It's what they think about and worry about. It's what they pour their lives into. It's reflected in how they spend their resources, their time, and their money. It's reflected in who they spend time with or who they won't spend time with. So generally, who or what we trust is reflected in what we do and how we live. Let me say that again. Who or what we trust is reflected in what we do or how we live. Or let me put it a different way. What we do or how we live reveals who or what we are putting our trust in. This is true when it comes to putting our faith in Jesus And what he has done for us, or what we call the gospel. At the center of the message of the gospel is that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. When they decided they would no longer trust God and they wanted to be like God. When they disobeyed God, the relationship between humans and God was broken. Sin now affects all of us. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has broke has a broken relationship with God and there's nothing that we can do on our own to fix it. The consequence or penalty of sin is death, both a spiritual death because we've been cut off from the author of life, the source of life who is God and as Paul puts it, we are dead in our sin. And a physical death. Every one of us will die someday. Every one of us. None of us can be good enough to fix this. There's nothing we can do in our own efforts to mend this broken relationship 
with God. We aren't good people who just happen to mess up from time to time. We're dead and we're hopeless people who are much worse off than we think. That's the bad news. To rescue and restore us, God himself comes in the person of Jesus. Jesus comes in the form of a human, being fully human and fully God. And he lives a perfect, sinless life. He never does wrong. Then he willingly dies on a cross, and with his death, he pays the penalty for our sin, the innocent for the guilty, the one and only perfect sacrifice for all. And then three days later, he rises from the dead and conquers death. And while we will still die physically, we know there is still life after this life, an eternal life with God. That is the good news. And as Paul writes in Romans, he says that while sin entered the world through Adam, one man, the grace of God and the opportunity to be right with God enters through one man, Jesus. We just read this quote. Our staff team gets together every week and we do what we call discipleship time and we read through books together or we watch different things in order to continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And the book that we're going through right now had this quote by John Stott and I think it summarizes this message so well. He writes this, For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone, but God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. It's a beautiful summary of what this message of the gospel is all about. The only way to be reconciled back to God is by putting our faith in Jesus. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, It's for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We are made right with God when we put our faith in Jesus, who He is and what He has done for us. Paul makes it crystal clear. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. All we can do is put our faith in Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, it means turning away from putting our faith in other things or other people that we think that we can find our ultimate purpose in. But James seems to indicate there's more than faith by itself is not enough, that works are also needed. And this has caused much division and confusion in the church. Understanding the order matters. How many of you have ever been to Ikea? I'm sorry. <laughs> About 10 years ago, 
When I was at a church in Indianapolis, the student minister was renovating the youth room and decided that it would be good for him to take me on a trip to Ikea. I'd never been before, and he was very excited about this. And, and he said, this, you're going to love this experience. This is going to be amazing. And so we get there in the morning, and as he's wandering through this endless maze of furniture, I realized quickly why they have a cafeteria at Ikea. Because you will get hungry as you wander through the maze of Ikea. And then after you eat lunch in the cafeteria, you realize the real secret behind Ikea is they take you down into the basement and they walk you out into a warehouse. And I realized then that Ikea doesn't sell furniture, they sell potential furniture in flat boxes. And we got back to the church after this eight-hour trip, and I'm not exaggerating, to Ikea. And I'm like, oh, let's tackle the hardest thing first. And then conveniently, Jeff had to go do something else. <laughs> and so I opened this box, and I'm looking at the instructions, and I realized there's nothing in writing in this. It's just pictures of this blob-like guy pointing at things. And I'm like, these are no good. I know how this goes together. I had it 60% assembled. And I realized that order does matter. Let's talk about what James isn't saying here. James isn't saying this, that faith plus works equals salvation. If you put works in this order, that would mean there is something we can do to earn salvation. And if that's the case, we aren't rescued by God's grace. We are rescued by our own effort. That somehow we can do enough good things or live according to the rules well enough that we can restore this broken relationship with God. This Order puts, this order puts works at the root of salvation. Works are necessary in order for us to be reconciled back to God. If this is our mindset, that works are at the root, then we will default in one of two ways of thinking. The first one is we will default into thinking about pride. I'm living better, I'm living a better moral life than everyone else, and I deserve this. We become self-righteous. We become judgmental towards others, especially those who sin differently than we do. Or it leads us to despair. I try my hardest, but I can never live well enough to please God. Or we always wonder if we're doing enough to earn God's love and acceptance. And as a consequence, we live under a constant state of guilt and shame. The order of the gospel is this. Faith equals salvation plus works. Our works or what we do and how we live is a reflection of our faith in Jesus. The gospel is all about what Jesus has already done for us, not about what we can do. God's acceptance of us is based on the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross 
and through his resurrection. Our works are not the root of salvation, but rather the fruit of salvation. This order that James is this is the order that James is describing in this passage. He's saying that our faith in Jesus is reflected in how we live. In fact, who we ultimately trust and how we live are inseparable. He uses three examples in the text that we look at of why you cannot separate faith from works. The first example he talks about is this illustration of encountering somebody with real physical needs. They're hungry. They don't have clothing. They're cold. And all we do in response to the need is tell them, hey, it's okay, just be warm and well-fed. To do this would be meaningless. And James is saying, what we can, we can say, all the right words, and we can use all of the right things, or we can, we can say all the right things, and we can use all the right words, we can sing all the right songs, and wear the t-shirts, we can even say we believe in Jesus, but if we don't love others like Jesus loved them, if we aren't treating others like we want to be treated, if we aren't living like we trust Jesus, our words by themselves are as meaningless as if we told a hungry person to be full and did nothing else. Just saying the right things is not faith in Jesus. The second example is a little more subtle. In verse 18 he says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. How, how can you show someone faith? Hey, I just want you to know, I got faith. Faith in Jesus only as a concept or an idea or a mental exercise is not really faith. And then he takes it another step in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the, even the demons believe and shudder. And what he's saying here is just knowing the right things. Having the right doctrine isn't faith. The demons have the right doctrine. They know that God is the only God, that he is one they know exactly who Jesus was when he encounters, when demons encounter Jesus, they call him the Son of God. They know who he is, but knowledge alone isn't faith. Just believing the right things is not faith in Jesus. Sadly, there are some in the big C church who say all the right things and they know all the right things, but they haven't put their faith in Jesus only saying the right things and knowing the right things fall short of trusting Jesus. The third example James uses is found in the last, very last verse. He says this, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We believe that we are made up, that we as humans are made up of a physical body and made up by a spiritual body as well, or a soul. 
On this side of eternity, both are necessary for life. And if you remove the spirit, the body would cease to live. And almost like an explanation point on the end of the section, James says faith and works are just as inseparable as our bodies are from our spirits. Who we trust in is always reflected in how we live. So how is faith in Jesus reflected in how we live? James gives two examples from the Old Testament which demonstrate how faith is reflected in what we believe or what, how the faith that we have in Jesus. And the Jewish Christians he was writing to would have known both of these examples very, very well. He starts with Abraham, and this spring we did a series on Abraham. We talked about the story of Abraham where he, God told him to go and sacrifice his one and only son Isaac. And in that story, we see that Abraham had faith that even if he sacrificed Isaac, that somehow he believed that God would be able to raise Isaac from the dead. And if you don't know the story, right before Abraham sacrifices Isaac, God provides a ram to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac. And all of this points to what God did through us through Jesus. And James asks this question in verse 21. He says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? This word justified is where things get muddy. The word just, translated justified creates this confusion around what it means in relationship to salvation. And in the scripture, there are two primary uses of the word justified. The first means to acquit or declare righteous. It means that we have become right before God or that we are now in right standing with God. Our relationship with God has been reconciled. And that's the reference when it comes to what salvation is for us and justification. But the second means to prove or give evidence of someone's right standing before God. The second, it's the second use, showing proof or evidence of our right standing before God is what James uses here. It's all in the context. Well before Abraham obey, well before Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, he obeyed God. He had already declared, he was, had already been declared right with God because of his faith in God long before Isaac was born. The evidence of Abraham's faith in God was his obedience and willingness to sacrifice Isaac because he trusted God. In other words, Abraham's faith, his trust in God, was reflected by his works, his obedience to God and his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. And then he uses this example of Rahab, and maybe that story is not super familiar to you. But as the Israelites, as God's chosen people, had been rescued from Egypt, and they were coming on the promised land, and there was a man named Joshua that was leading them to take the promised land. The very first city that they encountered as they're, as they're on their way to claim the promised land was a city called Jericho. And it was almost an impossible city to conquer because it had these huge walls around it, and Joshua sends two spies in to spy out the city, and the king of Jericho gets word of the fact that there are spies from this unknown group that's approaching the city, and he wants them dead. And there's a woman named Rahab that has heard about all that God has done through these Israelites, these slave people from Egypt who have come to take this land. And she 
believes in God. And so she hides these, these messengers, these spies, covers them up so the king misdirects the king's people who are looking for them and then leads them out over the wall and asks that, hey, would you come to conquer the city? If you would just spare me and my family, that would be awesome. Her faith in God, trusting him for her protection, was demonstrated in her actions of letting the spies escape, even at the risk of her own life. Both from those in Jericho and trusting that God would provide her when the Israelites would defeat Jericho. The evidence of who she trusted was reflected in what she did. Likewise, the evidence of who we trust is reflected in how we live. Fortunately, when we put our faith in Jesus, God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us on our own. He gives us his spirit. When we put faith in Jesus, God in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us and begins to transform us from the inside out. God has worked for us through Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection. He's also worked in us, works in us through his Holy Spirit, making us more like Jesus so he can work through us. I love this quote from David Smith that that summarizes what faith in Jesus looks like. He says this, Christian faith is a Holy Spirit-empowered internal devotion to God that produces an external devotion to God. We continue to submit to God as he works in us and through us, and he helps us change how we live and the choices that we make. And because God transforms us from the inside out, we begin to live differently. Things that were once important to us are no longer seen as important because we have put our faith in Jesus. And this transformation isn't just for ourselves. The Spirit is working in us to make us more like Jesus so He can work through us. Because we trust in Him, our purpose and priorities begin to change. God aligns our purpose with with His purpose. What we care about and what is important to us changes. What we used to pursue becomes more and more meaningless. Our hearts become more and more aligned with the heart and the mission of God. Because we trust in Him, we begin to... We, what we invest in also begins to change. We get, begin to spend our time and our efforts and our money on things that will last forever rather than the things that will pass. We invest in people so they too will put their faith in Jesus and grow in their relationship with Him. Because we trust Him, our relationships begin to change. We begin to see people differently as God sees them. We start to put others first. God's compassion for others moves us into action. God begins to bring healing and restoration to the broken relationships in our lives because we are able to forgive the hurt that someone's done to us because we have been forgiven so much. And we are able to go out and seek forgiveness for the hurt that we've caused others. We aren't perfect, but we're progressing. Transformation is to be, transformation to become more like Jesus is a process. It happens 
over time. The fancy word for this is sanctification. Maybe you've heard that before. It's sometimes two steps forward and three steps back. We don't live this way because we think we need to be good in order to somehow earn something with God. God is making us new. He's restoring us to the way we were originally designed to be before sin entered the world. All He is doing in us and through us is for our good and for the good of those around us. It'll be difficult sometimes. There are seasons that are challenging and hard and you feel like you just want to quit and give up. Things won't go our way. But God is working in all of it. Putting our faith in Jesus means making Him both Savior and Lord of our lives. We love the Savior part. Who doesn't like to be rescued? It's the Lord part that we kind of get tripped up on. But Jesus says this in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily means continuing to submit and surrender our will to his will because we trust him completely. This is hard. It strikes at the very core of our self-centeredness. But this is what faith in Jesus looks like. Trusting that he is good and his ways are perfect always. And when we trust him and follow him, our lives begin to look more and more like his. I want to close with this question that really kind of poses this almost in an opposite kind of way, but I want to challenge you maybe to write this question down, reflect on it today, reflect on it this week, reflect on it in the weeks to come. I think it's worthwhile as you're just kind of like asking yourself the question is, what I do, does it line up with who I trust? And it's this question. If you never met Jesus, what in your life would be different? If you never met Jesus, what in your life would be different? Who you trust isn't reflected in how you live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the work that you have done for us for through Jesus, I thank you that we do not have to earn anything from you, that you have given this gift to us freely. And Father, I pray that you would just help us continue to put our trust in you, that we know that you are good. We know that your ways are perfect. Father, we have a hard time giving things up and surrendering to you. And so Father, help us in that. Help us to live in a way that reflects you, that we can become more and more like Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.